Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You're listening to episode 82 of the Gymnast Nutritionist podcast. Hello, and welcome back. We are officially in 2024. We are officially very much in full swing for Um, gymnastics competition season, and I am here for it. I am absolutely loving getting to follow our clients each weekend with how they do at their competitions. We are in the middle of elite qualification. So all of our little elite track gymnasts are trying to qualify, you know, both elite compulsory and elite optional. Uh, My junior and senior elites will start competing soon. I think the first big thing is winter cup in mid February, along with some international competitions. So yeah, needless to say, it's definitely a really exciting time of year for me. It's also NCAA season, which means judging for me, both college and developmental program. And so, yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, I love all the seasons with gymnastics. I love the summer and upgrades. I love preseason and helping gymnasts prepare to really crush it during comp season. I love competition season, which honestly, at this point, it's really about managing recovery and helping your gymnast to stay healthy. And I know that there's gymnasts who are currently injured, who are currently struggling. And so if you have one of those, I want you to know that while maybe they're on the bench and they can't compete right now, there is no better time to start learning how to fuel them and really maximize their time out of the gym while they're trying to recover and setting them up for a successful comeback. Today's podcast, though, does not really have a lot to do with competition season and recovery, but it's definitely timely in terms of seasons and seasonal messages, especially with what we hear in January, right? January, we hear stuff like new new year, new you, right? It's the start of a year. Everyone is just coming off, you know, several back-to-back holidays with often lots of super delicious, yummy foods. And so we definitely have a total barrage of messages about dieting and diet culture and restriction, so on and so forth. If you follow me, you know that I'm an all foods fit kind of girl and people get upset when I say that because when people hear, you know, it's okay to eat all foods, they hear you should eat whatever you want, whenever you want all the time. And it's not that simple, right? Your gymnast needs to eat enough, right? That's always the first priority. But of course, I want her to eat nutritiously. Of course, I want her to get a wide variety of nutrient-dense foods and fruits and vegetables and anti-inflammatories and all the things. Of course, that is ultimately the end goal, but we have to have our nutrition priorities in place. And so I want to share with you a little bit more about our philosophies, especially about the language that we use with food, because there's definitely a method to our madness. So I oftentimes will get DM from parents telling me things like my gymnast eats super well. She eats super clean. 
but she still wants to eat junk food, or she's always asking me for cookies every day, or she's always asking me for goldfish every day. And I don't know how to get her, you know, to stop craving this and only eat clean. And messages like that break my heart because I've been there, right? I understand the train of thought. I would say that most sport parents, which, you know, sport nutrition culture is really just a smaller version often of kind of larger diet culture. Most parents of athletes, especially young, talented, high-level athletes, if they're told anything about nutrition, they're told to feed their gymnast healthily. They're told to make sure that they quote-unquote eat clean, whatever that official definition is. And they take it to heart because it's often presented to them in a way that it seems if they just feed their gymnast healthy enough, if they just eat clean enough, if they just count the calories and count the macros and avoid the seed oils and do all the things that they just do all of those things, then their gymnasts will be healthy and strong and resilient and never be injured and will win the Olympics, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the picture that is often painted for parents of young athletes. And so here's the deal. Nothing matters if your gymnast isn't eating enough overall. Your body doesn't know where the carbs come from. It doesn't know where the protein or fat comes from, which again, that doesn't mean that the quality of what we eat doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that the timing of what we eat doesn't matter. But if we're thinking about kind of that nutrition foundation, it is a foundation of adequacy. Beyond that, then we want to make sure the gymnast is eating enough of the right foods at the right times, right? So they're getting enough carbs, protein, and fat within their meals, pre-workout, post-workout, intra-workout based on the intensity and duration of their training, based on the fact that gymnastics is a high-intensity anaerobic sport that essentially runs on carbohydrate. And that is probably the second most important thing when it comes to nutrition. But definitely within this kind of pyramid or this hierarchy of nutrition priorities, we have to recognize that food is not just fuel, right? It's social, it's emotional, it's cultural. And your gymnast has to be able to enjoy what they eat or it's not going to be sustainable. And I'll tell you, there is, there are honestly several nutritionists in the gymnastics world. And note, I use the word nutritionist because they are not registered dietitian, sports nutritionists. But people who claim to be nutritionists that really have no business or no qualifications, no licensure, no data, but their MO, like their practice philosophy is based around clean eating. It's based around, you know, keep it lean and green. They have to eat clean, blah, blah, blah. And I cannot tell you how many gymnasts we've worked with who started out with those quote unquote nutritionists or those nutritionists came to their gym to do nutrition seminars And now these gymnasts have raging eating disorders where they are terrified of foods or they're binging. So they're either on the anorexia nervosa side of things and they're terrified of foods or what we call kind of orthorexia, or they're on the other end of the spectrum where because their parents took this to heart and were so gung-ho with the clean eating, now the kid, every chance they get when their parent isn't around, they're overeating, they're sneaking, they're binging, and none of that is helpful for performance, for body composition, and certainly not, you know, well-being and mental health and the gymnast's long-term relationship with food and body. And something that I think we always have to remember is that gymnastics is temporary. And as much as I love it with all my heart, 
your gymnast has to live with herself and her body and her habits with food for the rest of her life. And so while we want to teach gymnasts how to fuel themselves for optimal performance and how to help unlock that next level performance and to do all the things, right? We also want to make sure that we are teaching them to be competent eaters, that we are teaching them to listen to their bodies, that we are teaching them, you know, how to balance all foods. And a lot of that stems from the language that we use around food as parents and coaches um, and even healthcare providers. And so when parents come to me and say, she eats clean or I want her to eat clean, but she won't eat clean and she always wants junk food. We have to kind of figure out like, what are, what are the problems here? And number one, we have to be careful with the language that we use around food. And I'm just going to tell you to prepare yourself because when I first heard this, I was like, oh my gosh, that is the dumbest, softest thing I've ever heard. And that is ridiculous. And that very much was my like hardcore all or nothing gymnast mindset that, you know, on one hand has made me largely successful, but on the other hand, I've had to do a lot of work to kind of undo some of the stuff that I learned as a gymnast that really were counterproductive. And I would say part of that mindset that what we call perfectionistic, extreme dichotomous, kind of all or nothing thinking when that is involved with food, it's often a recipe for disaster because the reality is nutrition is not meant to be perfect. It can't be perfect. And I can't tell you how many gymnasts struggle with food because they are trying to make it perfect. And when they eat something that they've been told is bad or junk food or isn't clean or has sugar or whatever it is, they feel guilt, they feel shame, and they often engage in what I call the what the heck effect, where if you were to walk outside and one of the tires on your car was flat, what would you do? You'd figure out how to fix it, right? You'd be like, oh man, this is annoying. My tire is flat. Okay. I'm going to drive to the gas station. I'm going to get some air in it. Let's see if there's a nail in it. I might have to take it to the shop. Obviously it's an inconvenience, but you could deal with it, right? That's what normal people would do. On the other hand, when we are stuck in this kind of rigid black or white dichotomous thinking, If you walk outside and one of your tires is flat, what do you do? You slash the other three tires. Why? Because one's already, one's already slashed, right? Your days, your whole day's ruined, right? One tire's already ruined. So I might as well just ruin the rest. That story is ridiculous, right? I don't think any of you listening here, if you went outside and one of your tires was flat, you would slash your other three tires, right? Yet I promise you, probably even for yourself as a parent or coach and your relationship with food, you probably engage in that. This is why we don't diet here at the gymnast nutritionist. This is why we don't put kids on diets. This is why we don't tell you that there are certain foods you can or can't have because this is exactly what happens, right? Is you, you know, swear off all these foods. You say you're going to eat clean. You're going to do whole 30. You say you're going to eat healthy. You sign up for the boot camp or the challenge or whatever it is at your gym, January 1. And by mid-February, you don't want to see another asparagus another single day in your life, right? Why? Because your food stinks. (laughs) Because you have been eating the same boring Tupperware of grilled chicken, rice, and asparagus every single day and not enjoying your favorite sweets and treats and whatever. And it's not sustainable, right? Anyone can eat clean for days and weeks and maybe even months at a time. But the real question is how do you handle yourself around the fun foods? And so as parents, as coaches, 
we want to keep it neutral with our language. I will sometimes use the term fun food, you know, when talking about sweets and treats and cookies and that kind of thing. But honestly, we can just call them what they are, right? It's chips, it's cookies, it's sugar. You don't have to add this label of good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, empty calories, whatever. And again, the reasons we don't want to use those labels is because it often can create these feelings of guilt and shame around food, especially when we eat something we feel like we shouldn't. And then for most of us, that often ends up in us eating more of it because again, we've blown it. So we might as well just finish it off. I'll never forget. I was talking with the parent of a young elite track. I think maybe even junior elite gymnast several years ago. And, you know, this kid is massively underfueled tons and tons of injuries. And, you know, we get on a call to talk about nutrition and all mom could tell me was how great of an eater she was, how healthy, how clean. And then she would say, you know, and she gets one treat a week and I think it was a crumble cookie. And this is right when crumble cookie had come out. So it was all a rage. And she's like, yep, every Friday or whatever, you know, she gets a crumble cookie and that is her treat for the week. And I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm like, oh, (laughs) like if you've ever had a crumble cookie, they are sickingly sweet. And obviously one cookie is like multiple servings, not saying that you can't eat the whole one and sitting if you, you know, want to. But this gymnast was teeny tiny. Like this was a very young, small child. And I'm like, there is no way that she can actually feel good after eating a whole crumble cookie. Like she probably has a stomach ache, which granted this kid was so massively underfueled that probably at that point, it just didn't matter. Like she had had so little to eat that when she finally got the crumble cookie, her body was probably like, oh my gosh, we finally have carbs. We finally have food. Like her brain was probably finally realizing it's, you know, oh my gosh, we got food. We're not going to die. But just thinking about like the psychology and the behavior of that, I promise you anything. If that kid had been eating enough regularly in and around training, if she had been allowed to, you know, enjoy the fun foods that she liked frequently and sporadically throughout her meals and snacks, she probably wouldn't have finished that cookie. And that I think is the really interesting behavioral lesson right there, because there's kind of two camps of people, right? There's people who, you know, eat whatever they want and you watch them eat. And if they order a cookie or they get a donut or something like that, they might eat it and they might not, right? They might take a couple bites and then they're finished or they forget about it. That is a competent eater. That is probably someone who's always had enough to eat, which food security is a really important part of this conversation. They probably have never had food rules where people have put limits on them. And so they've just learned to intuitively listen to their bodies. Versus the other camp, which is definitely the camp that I grew up in, are people who have been controlled and micromanaged, right? Which I think oftentimes with sport parents, it all comes from good intentions of you're trying to help your kid be successful. So you get all the junk food out of the house. You make sure everything's perfectly clean. And yet because of that, and because of that over-restriction, which over-restriction, it's not just about what you perceive as a parent, it's what your child perceives. But because of this over-restriction, this kid grows up never knowing how to experience satisfaction and having that security that they don't have to eat the whole crumble cookie today because it will be there tomorrow. And they eat the whole thing, not because they want it, not because they're hungry for it, not because they're enjoying it, but they eat all of it out of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. It's my one cheat meal. It's my one time during the whole week I get a cookie. So gosh darn it, I'm going to eat the whole thing. And I don't care if my tummy hurts after it. 
That is why we don't promote restriction here, which again, when I say that people lose their minds and they think that that means that it's a free for all that I'm telling parents that they should give their kids cookies and candies and soda and goldfish and all this stuff all the time. And absolutely not. Honestly, I feel like you should only serve those things as frequently as you need to, to help your kid have a healthy relationship with food. I will tell you that when our clients eat enough and when they have permission to enjoy the fun foods, eventually they often don't want them. I'm not saying that they completely stop enjoying the sweets and treats and stuff like that, but how much they want them, how much they eat them, how much they crave them, the conversation around them reduces drastically. Why? Because number one, they're fed and the fed brain is just not that interested in food. And that's one reason that I get a lot of DMs from parents telling me that their kid is addicted to sugar or junk food or whatever. And I'm like, well, number one, they're not addicted, which you can listen to that in some of our other episodes. But number two, they're probably just massively underfueled. And the brain knows, like from an evolutionary standpoint, the brain knows that carbohydrates, you know, sweet treats and sugary stuff, it knows that that's a quick source of energy. And so when your kid is training 20, 25, 30 hours a week, and they're massively underfueled, of course, they're going to want all the sweets and treats and carby things because their brain is smart and their brain knows that it is not getting enough energy. It's raising the white flag. It's saying mayday, mayday, and it's just trying to keep them alive. So what do you do instead, right? If this is you, if you're listening to this and you're feeling convicted of like, oh gosh, like we are a clean eating household. We are a macro counting household. We are a whole 30 household. Here's the deal. I'm not coming in trying to wreck your home. I'm not coming in here trying to tell you what you can and can't feed your kid. Something I always say is that, you know, when it comes to our philosophies, we're non-denominational when it comes to food, right? We have people in our program who are vegan and vegetarians for ethical and religious reasons. We have families who want to cook everything from scratch and everything is organic and all the things. And we have other parents who absolutely hate cooking and most of what they provide is prepackaged or through the restaurant or through the delivery or whatever. And here's the deal. We can make all of it work. No shame, no blame. But the first thing that we start with is just that language around food. So we want to make it neutral, right? We want to take a fueling forward approach. So making statements like, hey, I need you to fuel your body before practice. Hey, it's really important that you have breakfast before the competition so that your body is fueled. I think the second thing is we keep our language neutral, right? Instead of healthy, unhealthy, calorie, junk food, instead of any of those words, which are not helpful, we just call food what it is. And just because something has more calories doesn't mean it's bad, right? Things that have higher calories have more energy. Things that have lower calories have less energy. That doesn't make them good or bad. We probably need a mix of all of them. And I think the next thing is you just have to understand that restriction is always going to backfire. And I will say probably the worst offenders that I work with are the parents of the young, talented, elite track gymnasts who, again, they've been told that if you want your kid to make the Olympics, if you want them to get that D1 scholarship, you know, their body's a Ferrari, you have to feed them clean and you have to feed them the best fuel. We're totally missing the mark with that messaging Because the real truth of it is your kid is not going to make the Olympics if they're too broken because of too many injuries related to too many years of underfueling. That's the real problem. That's the real threat, not the seed oils. 
Okay. Which again, I'm not telling you that you have to start buying foods that you don't prefer to buy, right? Again, you are an adult, you have autonomy, you get to buy what you want. But at the same time, so does your child. And your child, your gymnast, may have developed preferences for foods that maybe you don't love, that maybe you don't routinely keep in the house. But sometimes, depending what's going on behaviorally with them, we have to give the olive branch, right? And I'll give you a good example. I did not grow up with soda. My mom never bought soda. We were never allowed to have, you know, dark sodas like Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper and stuff like that. I think it was because they had caffeine. Um, I never really developed a liking for soda. And so it's just kind of been a non-issue for me. Like I really don't really understand people who like soda. When I started my career as a dietitian, I started out in pediatric endocrinology. And so a lot of the patients that we saw had type one and type two diabetes. Liquid sugar beverages like soda are not good for people who have diabetes. Why? Because it wrecks havoc on their blood sugar and makes it very difficult to manage. Not to mention, there's really not a whole lot of nutrition. When I was counseling patients in my first couple years as a dietitian, I would tell them, you know, I don't have any food rules except for one, no soda, no soda, because there's nothing in it. It's not good for you. It's empty calories, blah, blah, blah. But eventually, especially as I started working with, you know, more athletes and individuals with disordered eating and eating disorders, I had to backtrack a little bit because I'm like, wait a second, like that's still a food rule. Like that's still a, a diety restrictive statement. And so here's the deal. We know that sugar sweetened beverages are not filling or satiating, right? And so it's very hard to listen to your body and eat intuitively because you could drink a 40 ounce soda and not feel full versus if you ate a huge piece of chocolate cake, or if you ate the whole crumble cookie, especially if you've been eating enough regular meals and snacks, you would be full, right? Like your body would give you cues. You would tune into them as to kind of when you've had enough. So when it comes to things like the sugary sweetened beverages, I would say most of my gymnasts don't drink those anyways. Like again, they're kind of like me. Their parents know that they're not nutritious. They don't really keep them in the house. But on occasion, especially my Southern girls, which I'm raising my hand here because I'm definitely Southern girl. I went to school at the University of Arkansas. I did my training as a dietitian at Duke. Often my Southern gymnasts, they love their sweet tea. They like their Dr. Pepper. And from my standpoint, I'm not the food police. So I'm not going to come in here as their dietitian and say, you can't ever have soda or you can't ever have sweet tea. Why? Because the moment I tell that to an adolescent, that's the moment that they're going to do it anyways. And they're probably going to drink way more of it than if I had just left it alone. If it comes up in conversation, if they ask me, I will share my thoughts and I will share with them kind of the science and the research behind, you know, satiety and fullness and how the sugar sweetened beverages, you know, our brain doesn't really have a way to kind of self-regulate there. I'll share with them, you know, just about kind of the U.S. food culture and how it's absolutely insane that you can go to Starbucks and order, you know, a venti iced latte, whatever, that has more sugar than two cans of soda, right? Um, There's a lot of, you know, overindulgence and portion distortion in the United States. I will not deny that. And so I think there's definitely things that we can do to kind of educate around that. But it has to be very permission-based. And we have to be very careful how we talk about that. And to be honest, this is usually a conversation I have with my older 
gymnasts, usually ones that are getting their licenses, they're about to go off to college, they're going to be on their own. Usually for my younger gymnasts, it's more of a battle of getting them to eat enough to support growth, development, repair, recovery, and their 20 to 30 hours a week of training. So all that to say, this stuff is hard. (laughs) This is really hard. And if you're listening to this and you're not sure and your feathers feel a little bit ruffled, that's okay. It took me a long time to wrestle with a lot of these things. And to be honest, I feel like I did not solidify my own philosophies until I started working with athletes and patients and gymnasts and started seeing the effects of how our language can be harmful. And so because of that, I was able to kind of get on the bandwagon here of being a little bit softer, definitely being more cautious and more aware, but being cautious and careful about what you say doesn't mean that you don't care. And it certainly doesn't mean that you don't know the differences, but it's fast forwarding the tape. It's looking into the future. It's considering what could be a negative ramification by me saying or doing this. And what can I do to help keep this gymnast safe and to support their relationship with food and their body while also supporting their goals and their performance and their growth and their recovery. So with that, I hope that you have found this episode helpful. We are deep in the trenches with our current cohort of the Balanced Gymnast Program right now. We are learning all the things. We're doing plate coaching. We're learning how to build meals and snacks that support their gymnasts, how to troubleshoot picky eating and sugar, and a lot of the things that we talked about today. So if this conversation has piqued your interest, we will be opening enrollment soon for our next cohort of the Balanced Gymnast Program, which is our signature three-month live nutrition coaching program for level five through 10 and elite gymnasts and parents. Um, you can find more episode. Um, you can find more information in the show notes. Um, we have several other episodes that can share more with you about the program, about our philosophies. Um, if you go back to episodes in the 60s and 70s, um, you can hear from some of our parents who did the program, especially those who have struggled with some of the stuff that we've talked about today in terms of sugar and just feeding and philosophies. Um, so yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope this has your wheels turning and kind of thinking about how you and your family approaches food and the language. And I think we all probably have things that we can work on with this. So with that, best of luck to your gymnasts if they are competing this weekend, next weekend. I hope that they're fueling. I hope that they're getting what they need to stay healthy and to be resilient because season is long. And with that, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast sponsored by the Balanced Gymnast Method course. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us. If you have any questions, you can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com, share what's going on and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash work with us. Bye for now.